Lord, we thank you that we can behold your beauty, that you are not a far away, distant, impersonal God, but you are our Lord, our Savior, our Father, that we can call you Abba, Daddy, and we can draw near to you. We pray, Lord, now as we go to our time in the Word, that you would be our teacher, that every single heart that is here would be prepared to receive what you want to minister to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. If you're new here, we just go verse by verse right through the Bible. On Wednesday nights, we started in Genesis, and we're going through the Old Testament. We'll be in Numbers 29 on Wednesday, so I encourage you to read ahead. And then we started in Matthew 1 on Sundays. We just go right through the Word, and we bring ourselves to Romans 12 this morning. We'll be looking at the second half. Now, I titled the message this morning, Be the Moon. And what does the moon do? The moon reflects the sun. You know, we as Christians are to be reflections of the sun. Not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. Amen? And God has called us as born-again believers in Christ, not just to be people who've joined a, a religious country club or people that have become part of an organization, but truly we're new creations in Christ and we should be a reflection of Him. Now to bring us up to speed real quickly, Romans has been a great book. And I encourage you, tapes are available, CDs are available, they're always free. We'll never sell tapes or, or CDs here because if the gospel's free, how can we charge you for it? Amen? So help yourself, they're at the back table. But Romans has been wonderful because what we've seen clearly is the greatest book in the Bible on doctrine, which is just a big word for biblical truth. And what we have seen is very clearly that the reason Jesus came, which is explained in the Gospels, and then the book of Acts, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church, and then you get to Romans, this letter written to those who believed in God who were in a church in Rome. And Paul writes this letter to instruct them. And he first tells them of the doctrine of sin, that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. If you're here this morning, understand you're a sinner and you're in desperate need of a Savior. But praise God, it doesn't end in chapter 3. It doesn't just say you're all sinners. Okay, good night, right? I mean, that's, that would be no bueno, right? Praise the Lord that he tells us, yes, we're sinners, but praise God that right after the doctrine of sin is the doctrine of salvation. That you and I can be born again. We can become new creations in Christ. And it's as simple as believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved to the glory of the Father. So we have the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of salvation. Another word, I don't like to use these words, but justification. It's just a big word that means just as if I've never sinned. When I've been born again, it's just as if I've never sinned. My sin's been wiped away. So we see the doctrine of sin, then the doctrine or the truth of salvation, and then we see the truth of being sanctified or living a set-apart life. Not just Christ dying for me, but Christ living in me. Can I encourage you with something? We're going to see this this morning. The one of the things I believe that really grieves the heart of God is the way that the church today just fits in with the world. And God has called us to be in the world, but not of the world. Amen? And it's not just Christ dying for us, but Christ living in us. And if Christ lives in us, then we're new creations in Him, and we've been born again, and we ought to be different than the world. Amen? You know, if you go into a morgue, and you stand in a room full of dead people, I hope you're a little different. Amen? And the reality is, the Bible says that those who don't know Christ are dead in their trespasses and sins, and we're new creations in Christ. 
And the reality is, again, not that we're self-righteous or holier than thou, or we look down on unbelievers and say, oh, I'm better than you. Not that at all. We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread, but at the same time, we should be different. And so we see the doctrine of sanctification, that we're set apart to serve God. And then lastly, in chapters 9 through 11, we saw the doctrine of God's sovereignty, that God truly is in control. And that God, while He has a divine plan and He knows the future and He gives all of us an opportunity to know Him, we see both the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. You know, here's the reality. He desires that none of you should perish, but He will not force one of you to be His child. He reaches out to all of you universally, but you must accept Him individually. He loves you so much He'd rather die without you you are his treasure possession how much does he love you this much amen and he loves you but you must choose to accept him so we get through Romans 1 through 11 and we've seen the doctrine of sin the doctrine of salvation the doctrine of sanctification living a set-apart life the doctrine of sovereignty that God is totally in control and now we get to chapter 12 and chapter 12 moves from what we believe to how we behave Now that we know all of these things are true, how should we now live? Now that we know that we were once sinners and we've been saved by grace and the Holy Spirit now lives inside of us and God is faithful and in control, now how should you and I live? Should we be different? Should our lives be transformed? And the answer is obviously, absolutely yes. Now last week we saw a couple of things that as again our belief should impact our behavior. The first part of the chapter, in the first two verses, we saw how our relationship ought to be toward God. How do we come to the Lord? How do we present ourselves to God? And we saw in the first two verses that we are to be living sacrifices. That we're to give God our body, our mind, and our will. You were bought with a great price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Before you knew Christ... The total function of your body was to please yourself. And now as new creations in Christ, dead to self, we should use our bodies that He might be glorified. Now it's hard to believe looking at your pastor now, but believe it or not, there was once a time in my life when I was a bodybuilder. And during that time, I remember working out four, five, six hours a day and just the whole, and it was all about looking good and being yoked and how strong could I be and never, you know, your flesh is never satisfied. You're never strong enough, you're never big enough, you're never yoked enough, it just doesn't happen. Always got to be bigger. And the same is true with chasing finances or whatever it might be, the thing that you're using your body for. But God desires that as the temple of the Holy Spirit that our bodies would not glorify us, but they would glorify Him. Amen? That we would use this, because this is passing away, as you can see by the fact that I'm not yoked anymore. All right? The reality is that it passes away. And God desires that we would use what we have that is temporal for that which is eternal. And we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And then it says, don't be conformed to this world. And we talked about this last week, so I won't go into a lot of depth. But the reality is that in the world today, you even have churches that say we need to be more like the world so that the world will want to be like us. And I say, absolutely not. Show me a verse for that. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So not only do we give God our body, but we give Him our mind. Hey guys, what's on your mind? What are you thinking about when you wake up in the morning? What's the focus and the passion of your day? The Bible says, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. If you're depressed, or you're anxious, or you're fearful, or you're bummed out, or you're prideful, it's focused on 
temporal stuff. But when you get your eyes on the Lord, it just doesn't matter what happens in this temporal world. Amen? When this time has come and passed, only what I've done for Christ will last. And the reality is, when I stand before God, He's not going to ask me how much I bench press. Amen? And He's not going to ask me how much money I've got in my 401k. And it won't matter how many square feet were in my house. And it won't matter how much hair I had on my head. Praise God. Amen? And so the things that we think are important now, He says, set your mind on things above. Get your mind off of stuff that's temporal and get your eyes on me. And I'll tell you what, there's peace when you do that. So we give Him our body and we give Him our mind. What are you thinking about? You want to be, have your mind on God, spend time in His Word. Amen? You know, if you sit in front of TV all day, uh, right? What, guess what? Where's your mind going to be? Right? Where's the clicker? Uh, watching 800 channels at once. Guys do that, right? And you just, you just watch them all. And, and you know what happens? You just turn into, you know, vegetarian brain. You know, uh, right? And you got nothing going on up there. And the reality is, get, spend time with the Lord. Read the book, don't wait right dust off your bible open it up and hear from god and so we give him our body and we give him our mind but the bible also says we're to give him our will not my will but thy will be done it's not about me lord and things that happen in our life that seem really difficult sometimes if we trust that god is sovereign and he's in control we have to trust that god knows what he's doing amen so i lost my job or i've, I've got a you know something difficult I'll pick up my 12-year-old, a 13-year-old son who's you know, wanted to play All-Stars his whole life and blows out his hamstring, and it just doesn't seem fair. But even when little things like that happen, things that are important to us, we realize, you know what, God is in control. Amen? I lost my job. God knows. I, I've come down with an illness. God knows. God, use this for your glory. Amen? And use this to conform me more to your image. Not my will, but thy will be done. And then the second thing we saw last week is that God has given us all spiritual gifts. God didn't save you to be a pew potato. Amen? God didn't save you to be the biggest, fattest sheep in town. He saved you to use you for His glory. And He's given you gifts. And He's given you gifts that I don't have. And as He's given you gifts, He wants you to use them. There are people that you can minister to here in a way that I cannot. And God has called us all to take the gifts He's given us that He might be glorified. So we present ourselves to God. We give Him our body. We give Him our mind. We give Him our will. You know how you give Him your will? Spend time in prayer. Open up, you know, get up in the morning and say, Lord, direct my path. Show me your heart. Help me to walk in the center of your will because without you I can do nothing. And then begin to use your, bi- your body and your mind and your will for His glory by being faithful to minister to those around you. Everything from doing what I'm doing right now, teaching the Word, maybe you're not called to do that, but we're all called to rightly divide the word of truth. Hey guys, you're all called to be the spiritual leader in your home. What happens on Sunday ought to be gravy to what happens at home Monday through Saturday. Amen? If, we wait, if, if I only feed you, you're going to be anemic because if you eat once a week, that ain't going to work out too well. Amen? I know you, the Bible says we're to desire the word of God more than our necessary food. Now, I, I see all of you right now and I know you're eating more than once a week. Okay? Amen? <laughs> You don't walk by that fridge without getting in there. And the reality is, we're to desire God's Word more than our necessary food. And we need to be at home ministering it to our families, ministering to our coworkers. And ministry can even just be the most, beginning with the most practical thing. So that brings us to chapter 9. And this is where we're going to look this week, going verse by verse. And we're going to see this morning, in a message, again, I titled, Be the Moon. Romans chapter nine or 12, beginning in verse 9. Sorry about that. Remainder of the chapter is going to deal with how we believers, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, are to be a reflection of the Lord and His heart to the world around us. 
And I believe every bit as important as boldly proclaiming the truth and the transforming power of the gospel is, is also living it before the world. You know, I believe that right now, one of the greatest struggles for the world with Christianity is not Christ, but Christians. You know what? If they look at, you know, love one another. People don't struggle with love one another, for the most part. People don't struggle with what Jesus said. Now, some of them will, just, will, will very much struggle with Him saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Me. But I believe the greatest stumbling block to Christianity today is Christians. People who call themselves followers of Christ but live like the world. People who call themselves followers of Christ but their lives haven't changed and they lie and they cheat and they steal and they you know, get over on people in business deals and, and it breaks God's heart. And I want us to see this morning that the Lord has a divine plan in a way that you and I ought to live. As new creations, knowing what we know, having been born again, now what? How should we be? How do we become the moon? How do we reflect the sun? And we should be radically transformed, living lives and dwelt by the, by the Holy Spirit, not leaving Christ at church. Amen? You're not a Christian for two hours a week. Amen? I've met a lot of people that think they are. Well, I, you know, to say to them, well, you better, I hope that the rapture occurs while, during those two hours, for your sake. Amen? I mean, the reality is that it's 24-7. I'm not... You know, when I used to be in sales, I wasn't a salesman who happened to be a Christian. I wasn't a father who happened to be a Christian. I wasn't a, a, a husband who happened to be a Christian. I was a Christian who happened to be a husband, who happened to be a father, who happened to be in sales. Amen? Christ is who I am. Christ is who you are. That's it. A Christian, a follower of His. So let's begin in verse 9. And let's look at what does it mean to be the moon? As Christians, letting our light shine before the world, what should that look like? Okay? He said, let your light so shine before men they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So let's begin in verse 9. And look what he says. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let me talk about that word love for a minute. The word there is agape. Most of you have heard that word before. There's three words in Greek that are used most frequently in the Bible. The words are agape, phileo, and Aaron. Aaron is a selfish love. It's where we get the word erotic today. And it's what can you do for me? And it's the kind of love that most people have. It's a self-centered love. I love you as long as you do for me. And as soon as you stop doing for me, I don't think I love you so much anymore, right? And it's a very self-centered love. And then phileo is where we get the word Philadelphia or brotherly love, and that's the love that we have one for another. But he says here, agape, where it says, for God so loved the world, the word is for God so agape the world. And the word here means selfless love. As Christians, we are to love others more than we love ourselves. Oh, that's hard. Amen? I'm always on my mind. How about you? I'm always thinking about me. Aren't you always thinking about you? You know you are, right? You get up in the morning and when stuff happens, is how does this affect me, right? Because we are, always, we are self-centered by nature. And it's only in a supernatural, transforming work of the Holy Spirit can it not be about us anymore, but it's about Him and about them. You've heard the term joy, J-O-Y. Jesus, others, yourself. When you put Jesus first and others second and yourself last, that's when you will experience joy. Sadly, most of us have yoj, right? <laughs> yourself then others maybe, you know, somewhere in there, you got something that's all messed up. And then you wonder why you don't have any joy. And he says, let agape, let agape be without hypocrisy. 
Again, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is, what's the first word? Love. You know what that word is? It's agape. And so this love can only come from the Holy Spirit. This is why youth group in the back, you're not to be, or you single people that are here, you are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So if you're not married yet, the person God has for you loves the Lord and is a born-again new creation in Christ, and if you're, you're not to marry an unbeliever, why? Because they cannot have agape if they don't have Christ. Amen? And so you will have a selfless love, and they will have a selfish love, and it ain't going to work out too well. I've done a lot of marriage counseling, and I promise you, it won't work. All right? God knows what He's talking about. And you want someone who loves God as much as you do, if not more. Amen? And agape, agape, selfless love, esteeming others greater than yourself... Now, do you, what would happen to the world if every Christian lived that way? What would happen to the world if all of us were just walking around, how can I minister to them? How can I love them? I esteem them greater than myself. You know what? It would be radical what would happen in this country. Amen? But instead, we're self-centered, and God help us to be selfless, not selfish. Amen? And it says, let agape be without hypocrisy. Now, it's interesting, the word there for hypocrisy, and, and those of you who have been coming here for any length of time know, the word hypocrisy there is, means to wear a mask. And back in those days, they didn't have sound systems like we have today. And when they would put on big plays and dramas, they would hold up these big masks in front of their faces to show the, the, the emotion they were feeling, whether it was sadness or happiness. And the actor, or the one who wore a mask, was called a hypocrite. It says, let your love be without hypocrisy. Don't be a mask wearer. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. Let your love be true. You know, love without truth is hypocrisy. If we say we love people, but we don't share truth with them, it's hypocritical. And the reality says, let your love be without hypocrisy. One of the things that grieves the heart of God is that we walk around calling ourselves Christians, but living like the world. And guess what? That's hypocrisy. Amen? We're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to think different. We're to have different passions. Being the moon, reflecting the sun. We love others selflessly. Who's the greatest example of that? Jesus Christ. And Christian means a little Christ, or a follower of Christ. And if we are His followers, then we should be like Him in the way that we reflect Him to others. Love without hypocrisy. Not what's in it for me. Not seeking my will. Not pretending to be something. I used to tell, I've told you guys this before, but when I was in sales, it was amazing. I would go out on sales calls and people would be cussing up a storm in front of me, taking God's name in vain, swearing at people, angry as they can be. Then they would find out I was a pastor. And it was amazing how, oh, praise the Lord, brother. I'm a Christian too. I'm like, whoa, mask wearer, right? Here comes the hypocrite. You know, it's, it's being one way in front of the world and another way in front of the people at church. Is your vocabulary different at work than it is here on Sunday? Do you show up at church and, oh, praise the Lord, brother, God bless you, give me a hug, right? Go to work and don't be touching me, right? You know, get out of my face, right? I mean, you know, it's amazing. We need to be the same person at home and at work as we are at church on Sunday, amen? Hypocrite, mask wearer, phony, faker, poser, Amen? Wannabe. You know? 
I grew up in Southern California, and you had a lot of surfer pose. I was not a surfer, I was a jock, but you know what? They had these guys who wanted to be posers, right? They'd have surf racks on their car, they'd have a surfboard on their car, they'd have the stickers, they'd wear the surfer shirts. Never been in the water once, right? <laughs> and you called them posers. But you know what? In the church today, we got posers. People got stickers on their car wearing Christian t-shirts, right? Wannabes, got the Christian the dove walking around saying praise the lord brother and we're posers because we're not really living it we're not really what we say we are may we not be hypocrites amen may we love people may we be selfless may we esteem others greater than ourselves now look at this part and i'll tell you what we don't see enough of this in the world today but and this is going to be hard for some of you to deal with but look what it says it says abhor what is evil the word there for abhor is hate now when the lord says hate pay attention because he doesn't say it a lot he loves everything. God is love, amen? But do you know there's some things that God hates? And one of them is evil. I looked up the word evil, and the word evil in the original language means diseased or destructive. He says, hate that which will destroy you. Hate that which will cause you to be sick and harmed. Hate evil. But sadly, we live in a world today where it's, hey, live and let live, dude. Whatever, man. Don't be putting your stuff on me, right? Here in Santa Cruz, we've got bumper stickers that come in five packs that talk all about that stuff, right? And it's, it's live and let live and question authority, and, and we're not supposed to hate evil. Now, I want to say this. We hate the sin, but we love the sinner. Amen? But we are to say that evil is evil, and people struggle with that. Well, man, we can't. that's self-righteous to say that that adultery is sin. Oh man, don't be putting your judgment on me. Don't say that homosexuality is sin. Oh man, don't be putting that. Drunkenness is sin. Oh, come on, man. Don't be, don't, hey man, if I want to go out and get drunk, man, I still love Jesus. Be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's what the Bible says. And we're to hate evil and not condone it. Now, anybody comes in this church, I don't care what their background is, we're going to love them. Amen? And I don't care what they're going through or what kind of lifestyle they're living, we're going to love them because Jesus loves them. But we do not stand up here and say that evil is okay. We are to hate it. And we're to hate it most specifically in our own lives. Guys, if we're going home and being entertained by stuff that is evil, that is diseased, that will cause us harm, we're to hate it. The Bible says, can a man hold fire to his bosom and not be burned? If you hold fire, you're going to be burned. And if you put stuff into your head and you're entertained by things that are evil, it's going to bring you harm every time. You want to reflect the sun? Hate evil, because God does. Amen? He hates it. Now, we love the sin and we hate the sin. We love the sinner and hate the sin. Amen? Whoa, that was dangerous. Okay. <laughs> love God, hate sin. Evil must be repulsive to the saint. You know what happens? The more we fall in love with the Lord, the more we hate evil. We hate it. And we hate it because we understand what it does. What does sin do? It destroys. You know, it breaks my heart. I was a youth pastor, most of you know, for 15 years. I had a kid come to my youth group one time with horns in his head. I was like, dude, what were you thinking with the horns? <laughs> Just wondering. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm like, uh, Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen. He doesn't love you, he hates you. He wants to kill you, he wants to destroy you. We're to hate evil. Love God, hate sin. And then it says here, cling to that which is good. The word for cling is to be glued to or stuck to. Stick to it. Are you sticking to Jesus? Are you clinging to that which is good? 
Is that where your passion is, your heart is? You want to be a reflection of the sun? Cling to that which is good. Hate that which is evil. I don't, I don't have poisonous cobras in my house. Right? Why? Not good. Would harm my family. And there, yet we have other things that we invite into our house that are just as poisonous, that are just as destructive. Hate evil and love good. Wow, that, well, no duh. But here's the reality, guys. Sadly, what we do is we compromise when it comes to evil. And we don't truly pursue that which is good. Well, I'm born again, so I can live like the world. Well, if you are born again, you won't want to live like the world. Amen? Not that you won't blow it. We're all sinners saved by grace. Praise the Lord. It's not by works that we've been saved. It's by grace. Not of works that any man should boast. But as we fall in love with Him, we will love God more and hate sin more. And you know what happens to me? I'll just be confessed with you openly. There are things that convict me now that didn't convict me a year ago. And the more I fall in love with the Lord, the more convicted I am, not about your sin, but about my sin. I'm not walking around with a magnifying glass pointing at you. I'm looking at my own life saying, Lord, that's got to go. I need to get that out of my life. It's getting in the way of my relationship with you. Verse 10. So we're to love God and to hate sin, and we're to hate that which is evil. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And you know what? If you come to our church more than once, you're going to get hugged around here. Amen? And the reality is that that's the way it ought to be. We should be kindly affectionate to one another. Christians should not have a cold, standoffish attitude. I don't see that in the Word. I don't see people being Christians and being you know, the Lone Ranger, having their own program, you know, being standoffish. You know what? As we fall in love with the Lord, we ought to start loving each other so much that we can't wait to see each other. And we do greet each other with affection. Amen? And it says, be kindly affectionate and brotherly love. And you know, it's amazing to me the word there is cherishing one another like we cherish our children. How much do you love your kids, parents? That's how much we ought to love each other. That's the way that our love ought to be one for another. Should be kind and loving. Look what it says next. It says, in honor, giving preference to one another. And we've been talking about this. Treating others as being more important than yourself. You know what? Here's the reality, guys. If we're esteeming others greater than ourselves, when someone gets over on us or we think that someone's done something to us that just isn't fair, it's okay. Because I'm esteeming them greater than myself. It's all right. God's in control. It's one thing to say that, it's another thing to live it. You want to be the moon, you want to reflect the sun, give preference to others. Esteem others greater than yourself. Be selfless in the way that you love people. Verse 11. Not lagging in diligence. We talked about this last week as well. The word there for diligent is tardy or slothful. Don't be tardy, don't be late, and don't be slothful, don't be lazy. And as Christians, I believe that we should, again, be the best workers in the building. We should be the most diligent people around. We should be a Christ-like example. Why? That when people would see us, we again would reflect the sun. Our boss would say, I want 20 more people just like her or just like him. Amen? Because when they see us working as unto the Lord and doing our job in a way that will honor God, then it will be an opportunity for testimony. Students, you do your schoolwork as unto the Lord. You be diligent. You don't be late. You don't be lazy. Why? Because even that will be an opportunity to witness to those around you. They'll see your, the way you are. Your teachers will say, wow, what is, what is up with you? It's Jesus. Amen? You asked, so I answered. It's Jesus. What's up? It's always Jesus, by the way. Amen? And so when, when we do all as unto the Lord, we are a reflection of Him because we live a life set apart unto God. Christians are not to be lazy. Laziness is sin. 
Whatever he does in word or deed should be done as unto the Lord. Do everything as unto him. Your work, your chores, your schoolwork. And then it says there next, fervent in spirit, and man, I like this. If you underline things in your Bible, the word there for, th- for fervent means boiling. Boiling in spirit. Can we use a little more of that in the church today? Amen? We need some more boiling Christians. Amen? So people who are on fire for God. So people are so in love with the Lord that it's just pouring out of them on people all around them. Amen? We've talked about this. The Holy Spirit has one of three relationships with all of mankind. He's either with you, in you, or upon you. He's with the world. They call Him their conscience. They're not saved yet. He's outside of them, but they understand at least some level of right or wrong. Without the Holy Spirit being with them, they would have no, no clue between right and wrong. But when we're born again, the Holy Spirit goes from being with us to in us. We're new creations in Christ. It's a down payment on heaven. Christ lives in me. No longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Amen? But the Bible also talks about in Acts chapter uh, 1 that the Holy Spirit shall come, what? Upon you and you shall have power from on high. So not just the Holy Spirit with you or in you, but upon you. And when He's upon you, it's you're boiling. Amen? And it's pouring out of you and touching and impacting the people around you. And when you, when you run into somebody who's boiling for Jesus, you know it. Amen? They're not, you, don't, you don't have to talk to them for, for six months to figure out they're saved. You know, if people know you at work for six months and they just found out you're saved, that's not good. Amen? We should be so in love with the Lord, it should be really evident to the world around us. You want to be the moon, you want to reflect the sun, be fervent in spirit. Amen? Die to self, be filled with the Spirit of the living God, result in, in a diligence to serve God in all things. When the Holy Spirit is flowing out of you, it's going to reflect in all you say and all you do and how you live and how you treat others. Everything you do, again, as unto the Lord. So it says there, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And that's the result. When you're fervent, you will serve God. Now, you may scare some people. All right? Some people might think you're a Jesus freak, but that's okay. Amen? If you're going to be a freak for somebody, be a freak for Jesus. Amen? You know, the word fanatic, right? Be fanatical. It's been said of a fanatic that you can't change his mind and he won't change the subject, right? And a fanatic is somebody who's just got a one-track mind. And, you know, people are 49er fanatics. Why, I don't know. But people are, you know, you know giant fanatics, ace fanatics, right? Raider fanatics, right? And the reality is that all that's passing away. And it's okay to like sports, because I certainly do. But I'd rather be a Jesus fanatic. Amen? A Jesus freak. Fervent in spirit. Some people are going to go, dude, relax, right? That's all right. Amen? Because you're not going to stand before God and He'll say, you should have dialed it down. You shouldn't have been so excited about me. I wish you'd been more like the world, Dave. Right? Amen? But sadly, the world will tell us that. Let's be the moon. Let's reflect the sun. Let's be boiling in spirit. Let's be fervent in spirit. Not some just emotional thing, but when the Spirit is upon you, you'll love people the way He loves them. You'll see the world through His eyes. Instead of being judgmental at somebody you see that's struggling, you'll have a burden and a broken heart for them. That's what happens when you're fervent in spirit. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope. You know what the word there for hope is? It's expectation or confidence. What expectation do we have? What is it? Heaven. When I used to work, one of the things I used to say all the time was, guys, we're going to heaven. Amen? And I'll tell you what, when you keep that perspective, doesn't it make the troubles of this world grow dim? Going to heaven, is that true? Oh yeah, that's true. 
People come in sometimes for counseling. They'll say, oh, this is heaven. You going to heaven? Well, yeah. All right, well, praise the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. We have the hope of heaven, the promise of heaven, the expectancy that we're heaven bound, as DC Talk would say. And I can't wait to get there. And when I have that joy and I have that hope, it keeps me from allowing the things of this world to weigh me down. It's okay. I'm going to heaven. My best friend created the universe. I'm going to spend eternity with him. And when this time has come and passed, only what I've done for Christ will last. Patience in tribulation. And this is a tough one. The word there for tribulation is anguish, burden, trouble, or persecution. How can we be patient in the midst of difficulty? There's several people here today that are without jobs. I'm praying for all of you. There's several people here that are going through illnesses that are heavy duty. There's several people here that are having struggles with your children and struggles in your marriages and struggles, all kinds of stuff going on. And how can we be patient in tribulation? How can we go back to the first part of that verse? Because we're rejoicing in hope. Because we know where we're headed and we know who's in control and we know that God is faithful and that we know that God is going to use even this for His glory. How do we, how do we reflect the sun? By having joy in the midst of difficulty. Does the world have joy in the midst of difficulty? Absolutely not. The world's blaming someone. Right? Isn't that the world? It's their fault, their fault, their fault. It could be me. Right? Isn't that what the world does? I'd have got that promotion. That guy's a jerk. That person over there. And that, you know, that umpire, that coach, that thing. That, you know, it's somebody's fault. That person cut me off. And that's the way the world is. The world is bummed out in the midst of tribulation, blaming others, bitter, angry. And if you're rejoicing in hope, the world's going to go, what is up with you, man? Right? Didn't you just lose your job? Yep. God's in control, though. Praise the Lord. You know, you're cleaning out your desk. Other people are you know, weeping and crying and throwing things and cursing their boss, and you're singing a praise song right? What is up with that? You know what it is? It's an opportunity for the gospel. It's an opportunity to be salt and light to a world that so desperately needs the Lord. Because here's the reality. Is God any less in control when I'm packing up that box as he was the day before when I was working at that job? The answer is no. He's just as in control. Amen? And we can rejoice and hope and say, okay, God, you're in control. Let's see what's next. Amen? Just being diagnosed with an illness. Well, all right, Lord, how are you going to use this? You know, the worst thing the world can do to me is the best thing that can happen to me. Someone shoots me, I'm in the presence of God. If somebody tells me I got cancer and I got two months to live, all right, well, one of two things is going to happen. God's going to heal me, and that's going to be a radical testimony, or I'm going to be in heaven. So praise God. Amen? And it's when we have that eternal perspective that we can have joy in the midst of tribulation. All right, Lord, what are you going to do here? I get to be on the front row of watching you work, rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. And how are we patient again? We continue steadfastly in prayer. The Bible says to pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. And the word there for prayer could also be worship. Can I encourage you when you're going through difficulty? Worship. Amen? Is he still worthy to be worshiped? Absolutely. Just lost your job? Get in your car and start singing some praise songs. Amen? Just found out that things are going rough at work, things are going difficult with your children? Worship. He's worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, and to be honored. And if you worship, it gets your eyes off your problems and gets your eyes on the Lord. Amen? And it's hard to be bummed out when you're singing praise songs. It really is. Get your eyes on the Lord. Verse 13. Distributing to the needs of saints given to hospitality. You know what's great here, guys? Is God has called us not to just be focused inwardly, but to be focused outwardly. And we're to distribute to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. We're to share the burdens of others in the kingdom of God. 
We're to minister to the needs of fellow believers. If you have more than enough of something and somebody else in the body doesn't have enough, go bless them. Amen? Because doesn't all of it belong to the Lord? Amen? Now, it's one thing to say, yeah, it's all the Lord's, but don't touch my stuff. (laughs) You know what I mean? And a lot of the world is like that. You know, it's like, yeah, it's all the Lord's. It's all the Lord's. Dude, don't you have like seven cars? Well, yeah. Isn't there like a family walking four miles with their two kids pushing a stroller to church on Sunday? Well, yeah. Why don't you kick down one of them seven cars? man? Well, no, that's my stuff, man. Let me talk, I worked hard for that. You know, the reality is it's all God's, amen? And, it, and can I, now let me say this real clear. If you go to this church and you don't have food in your house, you better come tell me. I know it's hard, but it breaks my heart when I find out that there are people in this body who don't have food to eat. It kills me. It's brought me to weeping several times. Don't do that. It's only pride if you won't share your need. Amen? Now let me ask you a question. If I didn't have any food in my house, wouldn't you want to bless me? Amen? Would you want my kids going without food? Absolutely not. So should somebody in this body go without? The base? No way. So if you have need, please, come. To, we want to minister to you. That's what the church is supposed to do. Amen? Come over to my house. We'll get, some, we'll get a bag and get some groceries out of my cupboard if we have. Let's get you some food. Amen? And it says ministering to the needs of the saints. That's the sign of somebody who reflects the sun. Somebody who's a reflection of Him. What did Jesus do? He ministered to physical needs as well as spiritual ones. Amen? He gathered them up. They had no food. And He turned a kid's lunch into to a feast for 5,000. Amen? And that's what God desires that we would do. And that's only going to happen if you get your eyes off of you and you start looking at others. You're not going to notice that someone else has need if all you're ever thinking about is yourself. Amen? You're never going to see with discernment, wow, I'm noticing that person, they seem to be struggling. Maybe I could help. Lord, how can I help? When I was a, a, a kid, my dad was a pastor, and he was pastor of a church that, unlike this church, it blesses me in great, greatly. He was a pastor of a church that, that really didn't pay him much. And we would run out of groceries every month. But what was awesome was, and I remember this as a kid, there would be times that there's no food in the house and we'd open up the front door and somebody's put groceries on our doorstep. That's people praying and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then being obedient to the Holy Spirit and ministering to the needs of the saints. Amen? Here I am, 41 years old. This happened when I was 6 years old, 7 years old. I still remember it. That's ministry, you guys. Amen? It's taking what is in our hands and using it for God's glory, not mine. May we be sensitive to minister to the needs of the saints. It says, given to hospitality. And the word there for hospitality is literally pursuing people you don't know and blessing them. It's love in action, not just in words. Opening up your house. Again, I praise God for my parents because growing up I can very rarely remember a time when someone who didn't live in our house who wasn't related to us. Pretty common. Ask my sister, she's here, right? I'm like, we you know, I'd wake up, who's this? Oh, they're moving in for a while. Okay, well, praise the Lord. And you know what? The reality is, as believers, we should be given to hospitality because whose house are we living in? God's house, amen? Whose car am I driving? Whose stuff is all this stuff? It's all His. So we should be given to hospitality. Man, this is radical stuff, man. This is not how we live in the United States, amen? But do we want to reflect the sun? Do we want to be the moon? Do we want people to see Jesus in us? This is how... We ought to live. Verse 14. Bless the... Oh, here we go. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. All right, I was with you up until now. I was doing just fine. The word there for persecute is literally someone who causes you to suffer. 
Bless those who cause you to suffer. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. Lord, you can do that. I've got to draw the line somewhere, right? The Lord tells us to bless those who cause us to suffer. What is the greatest testimony in the world? I believe it's when you bless those who cause you to suffer. Because it blows their mind. They mean evil toward you. They want to bring harm to you, and you return it with love. It blows them away. The me-first self-centered world seeks to be vindicated. But as born-again believers in Jesus Christ and dwelt with the Holy Spirit, we're not only to minister to those that we love, which is not a problem, but to minister to those who mean to bring us harm. We're to bless the very people who wish to destroy us, to hurt us, to defame our reputation. It seems like an impossible request. And you know what? Without the Holy Spirit, it is. It's impossible. There's no way. Can I tell you that as your pastor, there's times almost... Just last three days ago, a couple was doing... Not counseling with me. Let me make that clear. All right? They were counseling with a therapist in our building. They got so mad at each other, the wife went downstairs and drove her car through the fence on purpose. I hear this, whoa, that didn't sound good. And I go downstairs, and she's trying to back her car up, and her tires are spinning, and a rock flies through and breaks my window in my car that's parked down there. Now, now I didn't immediately think opportunity for ministry, but that's what it was, all right? <laughs> and so I go out there, and her husband is in my face telling me that it was totally unrelated. Wait a minute. You drove your car through the fence, it got stuck, your tires were spinning, rocks were flying, my window broke by osmosis all at the same time. Is that what you're telling me? And the guy's in my face screaming at me with the police officer there, and can I tell you that in my flesh, I wanted to give him a forearm shiver. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Oh, uh, did I do that? Now, that's not what we're supposed to do, amen? Holy Spirit's convicting me. I'm just, the thought's running through my mind. I'm like, no, Lord, I know that's not what you want. Okay. So I walked away, and then God really convicted me, and I went back to the guy, and I said, bro, it's obvious you're having a really tough day, you know? And I want, I want to tell you, if I said anything that offended you, I apologize. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Don't shiver and pray for him. Amen? The reality is that we're not to respond with those who, who persecute us and mean to bring us harm with evil. We're to respond to them in love. It's not easy. It's not easy, because our initial response is in the flesh, is to get even. It's not right. Don't treat me that way, right? That's how we respond, but that's not how the Lord desires that we respond, walking in the Spirit. We're new creations. We're to have a hateful attitude toward no one. You're not to hate anybody. You know what? We have a term in my house. We're not always faithful to keep it, but the term is prayer or praise. If you can't say something nice, pray for them. If you can't do either one, then be quiet. Amen? (laughs) Prayer or praise. When I was a youth pastor, prayer or praise. You know, that guy, prayer praise. That guy, Lord, help him, right? You know, we need to pray. Prayer praise, verse 15. Bless those who persecute you, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Uh, You heard about David's father passing away yesterday. Now, he moved. It was moving day for David's father yesterday, and he moved to heaven. Amen? And we can rejoice in that. And we grieve, but not as those without hope. But his sister was driving the car. Imagine how she feels today. His other sister was in the car. His wife, I think he was only in his late 40s, got kids still in high school. Now, we should be holding up their hands. Amen? We rejoice with those who rejoice, but we should be weeping with those who weep. 
Sometimes it's just putting an arm around somebody and saying, I'm praying for you. I love you. We can encourage them with the fact that he's in heaven, but at the same time we still grieve because we're going to miss him until we get there. Amen? And so as Christians, we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, when I was in sales, it was the exact opposite. People weeped with those who rejoiced and rejoiced with those who weeped. Because you were, your sales were based on who sold the most, so when you sold a lot, it made other people look bad, so if you sold a lot, people were bummed. You did what? You had a big sale? Oh! Right? <laughs> I just took the double tra- I just took two full pages of ad- ads out of the book. I canceled all those ads. Really? Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> and that's how the world is, right? It's like, oh, that's too bad. That happened to you? Tough luck. Right? That's the world. The world really is so self-centered. As long as it didn't happen, whatever. But as Christians, our joy should be doubled and our burdens should be halved. Our joy should be doubled as we rejoice together. Amen? Something great happens. Praise the Lord. The first person we should, people we should go to is our people. That, Man, let me tell you what God did. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. Amen? And when we go through difficulty, we should go to those same people who should put their arm around us and love us and encourage us and hold up our hands. You want to be the, you want to be the moon? You want to reflect the sun? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Verse 15, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. You know what? The thing that I I hate the most, and it's probably because I struggle with it in my own life, is I cannot stand pride. When you see pride in others, don't you hate it? You see it in someone else, and you're like, dude, get over yourself, right? Isn't that what happens? We have a softball. We, we keep getting put in the same softball league. God's just teaching your pastor something. Because there's this one team that is filled with the most arrogant people I've ever seen in my life. And every time we play them, I just sit in the office and go, oh. <laughs> dude, just stop it already, you know? You've got to take 14 minutes to get in the batter. You know what I mean? What, do you think you're A-Rod? Get, we're playing softball, right? <laughs> now, and you see, and, you know, and when, they, when they get a hit, you know, they're all prideful, and, you know, and they, the way they catch the ball, you're like, oh, man, you're killing me. And, and the reality is, when you see it in others, you can't stand it, right? When someone walks around and they're arrogant, you know, that's me, yeah, that's right, I'm better than all of you guys. You hate that, don't you? But don't we struggle with it ourselves sometimes? The root of all sin is pride, isn't it? It all begins with me thinking more about me than I am someone else. What's the middle letter in pride? I, Right? And when, it's when I'm focused on me, and it says in this text, do not set your, set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble, and don't be wise in your own opinion. Don't be wise in your own opinion. Don't be conceited. Don't be arrogant. First of all, anything you have, who gave it to you? God did. What do you have to be proud or arrogant about? Nothing. Amen? Because without Him, you can do what? Nothing. And the word in the original language for nothing is nothing. Without Him, you can do Nothing. And so you must be desperate for him. And don't be wise in your own eyes. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. When people see you and know you, they think that guy, all he, all he does is think on that which is good. All she does is, is speak great things and praise others and encourage others and is a blessing to others. And it's really hard not to repay evil for evil, but to have regard. Don't respond in kind. Have a good and godly reputation before all men. Don't say it's only fair because of the way he treated me. You respond differently. Be the, be the moon. Reflect the sun. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, and what's the next word? Peace. 
As believers, peace should flow through us everywhere we go, not turmoil and strife. When people think about you, and when you enter the room, what follows you? Turmoil and strife or peace and joy? Amen? As Christians reflecting the sun, we ought to bring peace into every situation. We talked about this last week. We're not thermometers, we're thermostats. What does that mean? What does a thermometer do? It simply reflects what's going on around it. It impacts nothing, right? If it goes in the room and it's 80, it's 80 on the thermometer, right? right? It just reflects. A thermostat changes the environment around it. As Christians, we're not to be conformed to this world. We're to be transformers of it, amen? When we go into a room, we ought to change things. Peace ought to follow us because we're filled with the Spirit of the living God. This is what Christians ought to look like. Isn't this convicting as you go through this list? It's convicting because you say, this is what Christians ought to live like, and this is not what the church is like today. But it can be if we'll fall more in love with the Lord and be more desperate for the Spirit of the living God in our lives. Amen? Last few verses, then we're done. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Again, we've all quoted this verse, we've all said it, and we've all blown it in this area. Amen? Sometimes I've said, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says Dave. Right? And the reality is, that is not, give it to God. Can I tell you something? I would much rather have you mad at me than God mad at me. Amen? I would much rather, if someone's going to take vengeance, why don't you go ahead and do it, because I don't want to have God after me, right? Amen? Let God take care of it. God will be faithful, God will be holy, God will be righteous in His judgment. Leave it in His hands. Let Him have it. Lord, it's up to you. You take care of it. I'm not going to respond. And it's not easy. It's not easy because our heart and our flesh says, you can't treat me that way. It's just not fair. You know what? When you seek to, to, to serve God, can I tell you, it's a promise in God's Word. You will be persecuted. You read the Bible? If you've read it, how did they treat Paul? They welcomed him with entourages into every city. Is that what it says? Uh, unless the entourage was throwing rocks, right? He was stoned. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was scourged. He spent a day and night in the deep. I mean, the guy just went through it. But you know why? Because he loved the Lord. Do you know that if he had dialed it down, he wouldn't have been persecuted so much? Paul could have just said, you know, maybe I don't have to, like, preach Jesus everywhere I go. I need a little rest here, right? But he didn't do that. And the same is true of us. If you're sold out for God, you're boiling over in the Spirit, persecution is going to follow. Pastor Dave, that's not exactly an encouragement to me to be boiling over. Amen? But realize again that God is faithful and God is in control. And leave the vengeance in His stand. Don't strive to get even. Don't strive to defend yourself. Don't overcome evil with evil. Overcome evil with good. Last two verses. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is hurt, thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, some of you might like the last part of that verse, right? But the reality is that as we do not seek vengeance, but instead bless those who curse us, it's kindness that leads people to repentance, the Bible says. Amen? Some of you have heard this, and we're done, but my, we, had a, we rented a house one time in San Jose, and we had a landlord, and if anyone ever met my wife, she is the cleanest person on the planet. Period. All right, she is. Somebody might be as clean, but I haven't met that person yet. All right, and we moved out of our house that we were renting into another house, and we'd given them a two thousand dollar cleaning deposit. And my wife spent four days cleaning this house. I'm telling you, there was no cleaner house in the world. You pull up vents, nothing. 
The, the oven that was dirty when we got it looked like somebody put in a brand new oven. It was spotless. Then I get a phone call from the landlord. I've been waiting for my deposit. We moved in. You know when you move into a new house, you use all your money to get in, and you're like so broke you can't pay attention, right? And this guy, you know, I'm waiting for this money because we need like food. And so I call him. I'm like, you know, it's been about three weeks. We're waiting for our deposit. He goes, oh, you're not getting that deposit back. Uh, excuse me? That house was such a pigsty that I had to hire a cleaning crew to come in behind it, and they spent hours and hours, and actually you owe me money because I had to spend so much money cleaning that house. Now, I wasn't happy. I wanted to jump through the phone, shiver, right? But the Lord said no. And the worst part was that my wife began to weep because it hurt her because she had been sharing Jesus with this guy. He'd come over and mow the lawn. He was our landlord. And she was sharing Jesus with him, and it just broke her heart. And I wanted to, you know, go do some damage. Don't be messing with my wife, you know what I mean? No, that's not what the Lord wants you to do. But you know what was awesome? It was a couple days later, my wife wrote him a letter and just said, you know what, babe, I'm going to send him a letter. And the letter said, you know, if the money's that important to you, it's okay. Just keep it. Because God will replace it. And, and she didn't want to blow her testimony over 2000 bucks. That's not overcoming evil with evil, but overcoming evil with good. It's not repaying. It's not being vengeful. It's saying, okay, opportunity for a testimony. Amen? Now, how's my testimony going to deal right now? The guy's ripping me off for two grand. There's no doubt about it. But whose money is it? Well, it's God's. And if God wants to replace it, could he do it? Yeah. So I can either blow my testimony, and the pastor that lived in this guy's house for a year can blow a head gasket, and everything I've said to him for a year can mean nothing, right? Or, all right, bro, it's okay. Keep it. The Lord loves you. Amen? Last verse. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. The world repays what it receives, acts according to its nature, but we're to act according to ours. And we're new creations in Christ, and we should not seek to destroy somebody, but we should just seek to reach out to them and make them our brother in Christ. Amen? If someone's ripped you off, let them have it. The Bible says if they ask for your cloak, give them your outer coat too. Just give it to them. It's okay, but that's just not right. It shouldn't be that way. It's not that way in the world, but it ought to be that way in the kingdom. If you remember who the stuff belongs to, it's all God's anyway. When you go through difficulty, it's an opportunity for God to be glorified. So in closing, reflect the Son. Love selflessly and unconditionally. Hate evil. Hang on to what's good. Be kind in affection, esteeming others greater than yourself. Be diligent. Do everything as unto the Lord. Be fervent in spirit, boiling, Holy Spirit overflowing. Rejoice in hope, the promise of heaven. Have an eternal perspective. Repent, or be patient in the times of tribulation. Have peace that surpasses all understanding. Minister to the needs of others. Give to others. Minister to them, even when it means opening your own home. Bless those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Rejoice with those in the midst of blessing and comfort those in the midst of difficulty. And then remain humble. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't respond the way the world would respond. And when you think of this list, who does it make you think about? Who did all of this? Jesus. Did he, how did He respond when they beat Him? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How did he respond when they persecuted and spit in his face? He loved them back. If we're to reflect the sun, if we're to be the moon, then you and I, God never asks us to do anything that he won't equip us to do. Amen? We need to ask him, Lord, help me to be a reflection of you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that, Lord, you've not only saved us from separation and from hell for all eternity, but, Lord, you love us enough that you've given us eternal life. And Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us 
to reflect the sun, to be the moon, Lord, to be a reflection of you, that when people see us and the way that we live, that they would see you in us. Lord, there would be an opportunity to just be a testimony to a world that so desperately needs you. Lord, we lift up Santa Cruz County. Help us to be salt and light here, Father. And Lord, help the people to desire what we have. May we provoke them to jealousy by the intimacy that we have with you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.